All right, I'm sitting here contextualizing Wheel of Fortune finances. Uh, came to a, re- a couple realizations here. Uh, Pat Zajac was making more than any NHL player annually. Yep, more than any of his beloved kings. And now I'm thinking about <laughs> Austin Matthews' next deal and whether or not he'll get Zajac money, which is $15 million a season. Better, if he wants it. Better be times eight. If he wants it, he could get it. You'd have to imagine. Uh, but uh, we know the repercussions of wanting every last penny. Not that he won't go that route, uh, but we know how some of the fans will react if that is indeed the case. Uh, to talk about that and more, let's bring in our next guest, Sam McKee, producer of Real Kipper and Born and co-host of Least Talk. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, fellas. Uh, my hockey brain, when you said Pat Zajac, I immediately thought of Travis Zajac. Mm. And I was, like, I was like, I don't remember him making that much. <laughs> Lou signed him to one of those deals like he signed Kovalchuk to. Like, <laughs> yeah. What the hell did Travis Zajac get all that money? So that's where I'm at this morning, boys. How are you? Uh, doing well, doing well. Yeah, I guess they would have had to send Zajac up to like the Muskoka League, uh, just like what they had to with Kovalchuk uh, back to the K there uh, when when that oh, deal yeah. uh, got kaput. Yeah, oh boy, what a what a lifetime ago that feels like. Like 15 years, like 7 million per. It was the wildest. It was deal. wild. Uh, would sign Austin Matthews to that right now. Uh, would he? Absolutely no chance. Uh, I guess that's where I want to start with you, bud, is just mm. kind of the perception of Austin Matthews. It is a very interesting one. There is nobody on the fan base that will that will tell you anything other than he is the best player on the team and he is the most important player on the team and he is probably for a lot of people the best leaf they they've ever seen at least in terms of the high-end talent he's capable of. But this is also the most frustrating guy in the league right now if what is reported is true, that he is looking at three-year deals after the five-year deal. And the point I keep coming back to with it is I would feel a little bit differently about it if you heard from, forget a player, even an agent be saying, good, other other players love this. This is the blueprint going forward. He's going to take all the arrows, but other guys are going to do it. You're not even hearing that. Do you think there is... And turn on seems like way too strong of a term. But do you think there is a little bit of like the bloom coming off the rose with Matthews here? Or where is the fan base at with its relationship with him, especially with what we expect this contract could look like? Well, it's I mean, it's impossible to tell until we know what this contract looks like, (laughs) fellas. Like, I I think I think he's still in a good place with with the fan base. I know he went goalless in those five games against against um, Florida. But he did score five in the first round against Tampa Bay, including many really big ones. I do think that the fan base is still in a good spot with him, but I I think it's on a knife's edge. I you know we talked about this yesterday with on Real Kipper and Born, but like I I don't know what what does Austin Matthews want? Does he want to be the face of the most storied franchise in the NHL? Does he want to be the man in the most popular sport in uh, sorry in the most popular sport, the most popular city for hockey? Like is that what he wants? Or does he want to be the richest guy ever? And to me, like, if he signs a three-year deal or a four-year deal here, I think the fan base, the turn will start. I just, you know, he's there's no way if he signs that money that he's not trying to maximize his next contract, hitting it at the perfect time when the cap goes up and all this stuff. I think if it's three or four, the fan base will start to turn. You can talk to me about five, which would be the same amount of time that he signed for his last one. But I really do think the perception of this guy is really dependent on what this contract looks like and how long it takes to sign. So it's a hard question to ask or answer right now, but I think he's still in a good spot at this moment. I would say it's he's not nearly as popular as he was two or three years ago. I think there's been a bit of a turn, but 
I think a lot of people need to see what's going to happen on Saturday, which is tomorrow. Wow. We're, yeah, we are. We are there. Uh, you mentioned like you, you were focused on term there, uh, and mm-hmm. we had Kipper on yesterday or the day before. Either way, we talked to Kipper earlier on this week. Yesterday, yesterday, uh, and he was talking about how he might have an understanding that he has to give back. I do think, though, the I think you're right. I I don't think the one thing he's going to budge on is the term because I think he's charted all this out in his mind, and I think his agency has charted it all out for him. Where it's like we'll do five, then we're going to go short, and then you're going to sign one more mega deal. And if he goes short here and gives back a little bit from a financial standpoint, he'd gain a little, you know, goodwill with with the fan base, I would think. And then at that point, if you don't have any success, you can move on. And if you did have success, well, then you can be like, wow, this is the guy who brought us everything. Let's give him eight years and the world. Uh, if he goes a little bit less on money, like... Are, uh, are you going to accept that? Are you going to be like, are you going to recognize that? Or is it going to be, you know, there's not much difference between 13 million and 12 and a half or whatever it may be if it is a three or four year term. But Justin, why is, why does it have to be here that they like reinvent the wheel? Yes. But he's Thank already, you. but that's Agreed. the thing, but that's, he, they've already started this process. Right? I know, but why like, did it like I just it's, they did it? You know, I, every, I mean, they every, did it pre-pandemic. They every did, they, other star does it. Mm-hmm. Every other star across every other team. They all team, start eight years like, out of entry level, though, and he didn't do it. Well, so why would he abandon McKinnon the plan didn't. now? He signed McKinnon six years, didn't. but he had a brutal entry level career and kind of needed a bit of a bridge. Yeah. Well, no, but didn't McKinnon just sign an eight-year contract coming off the cup? Yeah, he's older, and yeah, he didn't. Still, he's, to he, me. it was six. You're right. It was six, and Matthews is only five. Uh no, I, yeah, you but, know what? There, to be fair, there isn't much of a difference. You, you are right in that sense. But Matthews did chart this out before with the five years. To expect him to abandon I, the plan, I, I just think it's wishful thinking if you're a Leafs fan. Well, to me, the term, like, I, it's going to be a lot of money for the actual AAV here. We're not, there's no way we're getting around that. Like, nope. it's going to be, I, listen, if they were going to sign him for $14 million for eight years or a $14.5 million for eight years, I, fine. Like I know he's gonna. People are gonna be like, "Oh, he doesn't deserve to be the highest paid paid player in the in the in the NHL." I get that. Everyone's gonna you know kill him for that outside of this market. You'd but run think, to sign that. Oh yeah, run. I you know I think he wants to maximize his like. That's what gets me about this is that every single guy in the NHL that's signing with their contracts just do it. They just all sign the eight. They all sign the maximum term. And every conversation we have to have here is like, oh, they're reinventing the wheel in Toronto. They want to maximize. They want to do this. They want to do that. It's like, why can't we just have the hockey guys that just do the hockey guy thing? Like, it just drives me nuts that we have to, oh, the term's going to be different. This is going to be crazy. And like, I understand it from the agent's perspective. He wants to be as rich as possible. I understand it from the player's perspective. He doesn't want to lock himself into a long-term contract with the team. He doesn't know what it's going to look like in six years, but. I, I don't know. It's just a frustrating process for me when I see all the other guys sign for eight years. Like, and it just, you know, we have to have the conversation about like these guys maximizing their thing. Anyways, it's just my hobby horse. I've been kind of beaten at for a while here. It no, just upsets me. Man, I'm, I'm with you. I would feel so much differently about this negotiation. If again, if like just Alan Walsh was out there saying players love this, he's their pride Piper. Everybody's going to do this. You look at the free agent classes coming up, the guys who could look at doing this, it's Miko Rantanen, Drysidle's up in a couple, the same year as Marner, mind you. I don't see either of those guys taking the Matthews route. We've never seen that from them. And then the the frustrating part about it is that why wouldn't Marner 
follow suit in two years' time if that's how it goes for Matthews? Why would he not try to time it the exact same way? Now, the flip side of that is if he, and this is always a, you know, a dumb debate, but one in the fan base of who you like more, who's your guy, you guys have it on your show kind of uh, at at times. (laughs) What a way would it be for Marner to endear himself of just, yeah, I'm going to take the eight when when my deal's up. Like that's, I'm so with you that that is the most frustrating part is there's just, there isn't another uh, guy. Uh, let's switch gears, talk, talk Nylander here for a second. He is a guy where I think the contract, a lot of people feel quite differently about it. You know, with Matthews, I think we'd all, like you said, if it's eight times 14 or whatever, we'd roll our eyes and we wouldn't love it, but you'd take that in a heartbeat. With Nylander, I think there's a lot of people who do have a hard and fast line for both term and dollar. Do you have that with him? What do you think he's worth? Is the Meyer deal a bit of like a template for you? Where, where are you at on Willie? Uh, it's going to be a tough one. And I think that Willie has probably, you know, I think it's, we're getting close to the actual thing happening here that we've talked about for the last seven off seasons, right? Like, I don't think they're going to commit what he wants. Do you like, do you picture them paying him $10 million per year? If it's like 10, I, just, I don't. I think no. I, I think right now Treliving is sitting there trying to grind him as close to Meyer as humanly possible, and he's going... But he's better than Meyer. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying, I think that is what's happening now. And then I think, you know, even the, like, minor comment from Treliving yesterday of, we were trying to trade down in the draft, that just reeked to me of a guy who, hit, who was sitting there going, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to get this guy locked up, or I'm trying to trade him. So, yeah, I'm with you. I don't My, think it's 10. Meyer, just for context, eight and a half, or 8.8 million. Yeah, I I think I think Willie Nylander deserves to be in the nine and a half ten million dollar range, guys. He's really, really, really improved, and he ha- has. And I think him and his agent both know that they've had one of the best contracts in the NHL for the last four years. Mm-hmm. Like we all rolled our eyes at that contract when it was first signed, right? Like that so was good. one that was a it was a bit of a risk when it was first signed because Willie was not close to Willie of today at that point. And everyone kind of said that he was overrated and overpriced at that time. The holdout really, you know, I think changed the perception of him a lot in this fan base. Like, I think that was a pretty big flashpoint for his career here. And I don't, I I think they're probably a little bit sour about the fact that he hasn't made the amount of money that he should. And they're probably going to try to extract every dollar from this contract negotiation. Like, I don't think... I don't want to get rid of Willie. Like I've never really been on that like trade Willie front. And the first off season where, you know, everyone's going to be like, you know, Oh, maybe we should actually hold on to him is the summer that he actually gets traded. It's hilarious. Don't you think like to me, I, I feel like he was, he had some dog moments in the playoffs, no doubt, but there was a lot of games where he was their best player and carried them through. And you think of him scoring the tying goal in game five against Florida when we were all so happy and they thought the Leafs were going to be the 15 to come back from three, nothing down. I, I'm just very, very, very worried about losing Willie Nylander at this point in his career. Cause it just seems like he's hitting his prime, but it kind of feels like it's heading in that direction. Fellas. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, if they can pay him what he wants. Yeah. I think, I think that's the direction it's trending as well. I think, I think they are very much, taking a line with him of we love you here we want you here it just cannot be a penny over whatever their number is nine two whatever whatever that is if you're if you're um willie and his agent oh willie okay no if you're willie and his agent they're being like so how much did johnny gaudreau sign for last year Yep, totally totally 9.75 all that stuff patrick 
I mean, he's not passionate. No, no, he's not. Like, but it raised the floor. Or raised it raised the ceiling. He, he wasn't Gaudreau either. It raised the ceiling, though. Yeah, Gaudreau. But I mean, like, I mean, Gaudreau's a bum now. I, I, mean, I think we could say it in, in Columbus. I, I mean, think I, he took the money. More importantly, with it is that you look at the free agency class this year. It's only going to continue to look dry like this as teams need to lock up their own talent. That there, he is a guy who is ripe for a bit of an overpay, even if we all kind of love the player, if he gets to, to open market, the, the, la- I, I guess the way I look at it with a, the idea of a Nylander trade, and I'm with you there. I don't love the idea of trading him, but I don't know that you can necessarily make it work is, you know, and we should probably let Brad for living do something before we, uh, before we uh, pour dirt on him or, or give him flowers here. But what's your confidence level in for living making that trade? I mean, it's been talked about a ton, the Kachuk trade. He has talked about learning from that experience. The Goudreau one as well. What's your confidence level on Treliving making that deal, and has it changed at all in the in the time he's been here? Because we know this was on the table when when he did get hired. Uh, there's a lot of general managers I wouldn't necessarily be that comfortable with making this trade. It's it's a scary trade, and I small club. You know who else? You know who else I wouldn't have been comfortable yeah, with know. making the trade? Glasses. Kyle Dubas. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't make many good ones when he was here. Like I I think it's a really really it's no it's not it's not hard it's impossible it's impossible to win this trade. Because you're going to trade him for, I don't know, like, you know, depth defenseman, a forward, like, you know, maybe a pick. It's just nothing you're ever going to get for him with a one year on his deal, right, is going to give you value. Like, if you were able to do, like, a sign and trade thing or something, but I don't even know how that works with one year remaining on his contract. Feels like that doesn't work. I don't know. I'm not, I'm no capologist. I'm no Brandon Pridham here. But I just, I don't have any really confidence in trading him at all. And it doesn't matter who's doing it because I really don't feel like you're going to get proper value back for him. Like we can have a conversation about how we're feeling about the first few weeks of Brad for living here. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's, uh, glowing reviews, but <laughs> I, at the same time, I'm not going to throw dirt on him making this trade because I don't have confidence in any general manager making the William Nylander trade. It's going to sure. suck boys. Uh, I'm I'm not convinced we're going to get there. Uh, to be honest, uh, you, you know, think we're going to sign Justin. I, I think we're in posturing season clearly right now. These guys are in, <laughs> engaged in a serious negotiate negotiation, but I have more confidence in William Nylander bending the knee for lack of a better term than the other two. Honestly, I, I think William Nylander sees the merit of being a Toronto Maple Leaf. I think he wants to be here. I think there's a chance. He's definitely the guy that's going to give eight years. If, if anyone's going to give eight years, and I do think when push comes to shove, which is a little weird to say because he went till the very last day on his deal that's just, you know, he's entering the final season of this year. I I have more confidence in him being being seeing the merits of being here and giving up a little bit to stay here. Hold let, McKee, let me let me jump in before we we hear from you on that. It's it's interesting because I actually think he's the guy, he's the only one he loves it. I think he appreciates it and all of that. I think when you lump Tavares in with them, he's the only one who doesn't need it. Mitch Marner needs to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. Austin Matthews needs to play for a blue blood oh, I franchise. Don't think so. I McKee, how do you how, do you think it's different? Split the tie here. Come on. Lovers I, quarrel. Split the difference. I, I, I think the best day of Mitch Marner's life would be when he got traded to the San Jose Sharks. Like, honestly, it, it wouldn't be for I, him that day, but I think no. it's the, it might be the best thing for him in the end. I don't disagree no. with it being the best thing. I don't think he thinks that, though. No. no, but I think once he got there, he'd be like, oh, my God, this is way. Better. Yes, agreed. <laughs> like, so like, so what you're saying is Marner for Carlson half retained. Who says no is what you're saying. No, I'm not saying that because I would not want to trade for a 33-year-old defenseman who's had a janky foot for the last five years and has only played uh, eight, only played over 50 games. I think he played 50 games for 
four straight years before last year. So uh, I wouldn't do that. Tavares for Carlson on the other hand. Yeah. Now we're talking. Mm. That's sexy. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't got there. Uh, was, that's that's very good. I like that. Uh, so, okay. So we, we're there on Trill Living. Let's, let's dive down to how we're feeling about the beginning of his tenure. Big, sexy Nylander trade, uh, potentially aside. Oof. David Kampf gets bit too much money no move as well I didn't even know that was uh that was involved I, I was floored when you told me that yesterday McKee I was genuinely 10 team no trade 10 team no trade 10 team no it's trade wild. all right that's a little better but still not good uh that's really all we can judge him on and the fact that Sheldon Keefe is staying uh is one of those more damning to you than the other I so the camp thing to me I didn't like the term of the contract, but I thought the AAV was like, okay. I thought four years was a little bit crazy to give David Kampf, but to me, the AAV, like he's an important guy for the Leafs, fellas. Like I know he's not flat, like, not flashy is the biggest overstate. Like he is not flashy. He is a, you know, meat and potatoes kind of guy playing your bottom six, kill penalties, good defensively. Exclusively scores against the bad Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. He needs like you need guys like David Camp on your hockey team, and these they have nine UFAs or ten UFAs. Like they need players on their team, and I think he's a guy that you know exactly what you're going to get from him. You can kind of write home to about him. He's going to play every game. He's going to take a ton of big draws, kill penalties. Like I said, good defensively, but I, I didn't love the term on that. I didn't love the no move clause. I know it's a ten team list or whatever. Like you know, nah, but still, on. just still. It's, it's more the it's more the perception of that. And I, you know, I, and this is the own sound of me, but I didn't love the first round pick either. Like I, <laughs> you know, a smallish they, they, London night. You don't like that. I'm floored. Well, no. And, and like, I, I did a lot of reading about, you know, I have no idea about the draft boys. I don't follow the draft anymore. You know, you know, one com- thing about the draft. You love the kid. The jets took at 18. That's what you a know. Kobe Barlow yeah. is a stud boys. That guy's going to be a hell of a pro, but, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't follow the draft like I used to when I was, you know, when they were the least for bad, at least in their competitive window, who cares? You know, Easton Cowan's going to be competing on the least when in the, the year 2027, like I have no idea. Yeah. Three, but four. I, I I'm, you know, I would say uh, my, my radar is up on the true living era to start. And I don't think it necessarily, you know, I don't, I know Gunner will, but I don't measure it against Dubis. Like I thought the Dubis thing had come and gone. I don't really think about it a whole lot, but you know, I don't think Dubas would have given David Camp four years, <laughs> which I really don't, which is pretty crazy. I mean, I think it was on your show. You're talking about, yeah, he could get two and a half elsewhere. So you shaved a hundred thousand dollars off on a four. Like, honestly, well, I, heard, I heard it was 3 million elsewhere. So okay, they're like, okay. oh, all right. I mean, I mean, that's a little bit more acceptable. But still, I mean, but, but still, okay, yeah, let him a- let him get it if if that's the if that's what you're worried <laughs> no, about. No, one hundred percent. That's a lot of money for a guy that uh, might be earmarked for a fourth line center position. Um, I will say, if Trey Living has been successful in any area, it's been like putting himself on a rung or a few rungs higher than Sheldon Keefe, who looked like he had his tail tucked between his legs yesterday in his first session with the media since uh, he learned that he would be retained by Trey Living. What what did you make of uh, Keefe's comments yesterday and just his overall vibe uh, in his first you know session with the media? You want the uh, God's honest truth here, fellas? Yeah, I started cutting the audio for Real Kip Born and I almost th- you know that the Jose Mourinho oh, yes. verbal verbal meme yes Jose Mourinho throwing off the yes. headphones that was me listening to <laughs> Sheldon Keefe again. I, I I just said I get I honestly said to myself I can't believe we're doing this again. Like, you know, he's a good coach, I guess. Fine coach. I, I just running it back with him and like, you know, they're signing David Camp and the Kerfoot stuff's out there and none of the core guys. It's like, wow. You know, 
really going to look very similar next year. Keefe extension. I don't know what he's done to deserve a contract extension. And I know you can't go into the season with him as a lame duck and have a one year and the guys tune him out and all that. It's a, it's a, it's a crummy situation. But all I keep hearing from everyone that's like, well, you know, living in the year-end meetings, all the players said they loved them. It's like, yeah, that's the problem, fellas. <laughs> it's called comfort. It's called, you know, a lack of accountability. It says these guys know that they're, you know, they know exactly where they stand with Sheldon Keefe and that they can get away with this and get away with that. It's like, throw a little, you know, dice roll in there. See what happens. <laughs> Put somebody else in charge. I, I just... I really do feel like the inmates are still running the asylum. And I feel like it's, you know, the more that we get into this, it's Shanny. It's yep. all like, has, always you know, been. Has, has it always been Shanny? Right. Like, you know, maybe it was his idea to run it back year after year after year. Maybe, maybe it was his idea one, not to call the team soft. Maybe it was his idea to, you know, I don't know. Like I just, I'm really this, you know, with the Dubas era, I really did think Dubas was in charge. It wasn't, even during the Dubas era, we didn't have the conversation about Shanny pulling the strings nope. that often, did we? No, never. But now that we get now that we get to this point, it's like, oh, oh, maybe Shanny's the one that thinks regular season of uh, success will finally translate. Like it's becoming clearer and clearer who's in charge here. Yeah, it certainly is, and uh, it is not Sheldon Keefe, and it's not Brad Living either. It might be Austin have, Matthews should he sign that contract. He might eventually wind up in charge, uh, but yeah, it's not not the coach. It, don't you think it'll be interesting to see Keefe without Dubis, though? I would love to. There is there is nothing that would make me feel better. And again, it's a weird thing to say, but for this team to just have an absolute dog of a game early in the season, Sheldon Keefe to come out, rip star players by Barbie. name. You guys don't and actually expect that, though. No, like, well, what, what's no. going to be different? No, no, no. What, again, what? I, I if you would have acted differently about all this, I, I was somebody who, even as a, the biggest Dubas apologist sitting on this conversation for sure, oh, I yeah. would say, even me said, it, that probably came from Dubas. The idea of you got to walk that back, you're being too hard on them. But now that he's not here and none of the tone has changed and it's okay, we're, you're going to grind Nylander, but not too much, just a little. We're going to give David Camp everything he wants, even no trade included. Like, yeah, so I think that had to have come from, I'm not saying Dubas couldn't have been on board with it. I'm not saying he might have not agreed that it was the right thing to do, but clearly that wasn't just his creation. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but it's weird to say nothing would make me feel better for this team's future than him barbecuing them after a tough game and then coming back the next day and hammering home the point again at practice because he didn't have to walk it back. You know what's hilarious, fellas? And Justin, I'll let you get in here. I know you guys got to go. But, you know, you mentioned Dubas apologists. And, you know, I, you know, I'd like to think there's a left wing and right wing of Leafs Twitter and Leafs fandom. (laughs) It's been very, very funny to see the people who are in the Dubas camp, like in my life on Twitter, you know, I, I just see it of like being like, oh my God, I hate this transaction that the Leafs did. I hate this the Leafs did. It's just been five years of them blindly defending a move from a general manager. And now that there's a new general manager in charge. They're like, I'm free, baby. I can finally say bad things about the Leafs again in their transactions. Like it's a <laughs> hilarious transition for a ton of people. We, we might also see loving. the other side of it with people actually saying good things ab- about it. Uh, we might actually yeah, see that. Not well, what I, I fear, I fear is yet. the only person who actually shows some change is the guy who's no longer working here uh, anymore and uh you know the same things apply where it's like why did that happen oh it's because this is how this organization operates 
under its current regime. And if yeah. Dubas is free from that and is a different person, uh, we might be looking at everything differently. Yeah, you're right, Sam. We we got to run here. Uh, we appreciate you coming on this morning. Uh, Kipper Morton, as always, will be must listen to, and it will be today uh, with Canada Day tomorrow and signing season beginning. Sweet, fellas. Thanks, boys. As Sam McKee, producer of Real Kipper and Born and co-host of Leaf Stock. Let's get to something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. So I'm a little sick of people being like, oh, my God, the Chicago Blackhawks are doing such a great job. Like, guess what? It's easy to be bad. It's easy to be a general manager. Coyote's been trying. I don't know. They've been trying. Well, okay. It's easy to be bad if you have some financial backing. Ah, If you are in financial peril, it is not as easy. But I will say... Chicago's doing a good job right now. Mm-hmm. They're doing two things that are really, really smart, which is to insulate Connor Bedard by actual with actual NHL players and to bring in a lot of guys you may be able to flip at the deadline. And the latest is Corey Perry, who we've always wanted here in Toronto, at least I have. Uh, he's going to join the Blackhawks on a nice deal, making a lot more money than he has in previous seasons, $4 million one year. The Blackhawks are surrounding Bedard with actual NHL talent. And guess what? Corey Perry might be chasing another cup. Uh, after the deadline because you could cut that salary in half, $2 million Corey Perry. That sounds pretty good to me. So a lot of people are like, oh, Corey Perry's not trying to win anymore. No, he's trying to make the most money while also trying to win, maybe lightening the load on himself just a little bit as well. Yeah, and somebody else can cut that half and half. So you can get him for a million if you if you really need to. Uh, I, I love I, a double retention. I, I echo love everything it. you said. Going back to Montreal, uh, you know, I, I thought he was probably cooked when he signed with them. Uh, guess what? That was about five cup runs ago by that guy. How can you have nothing but admiration for the rat? Would have killed for him to be a Leaf. Uh, perfect guy to have around Bedard. MVP winner in his own right. He's playing with Hall. That's now two Hart Trophy winners he's got in the forward group with him. Obviously, a little bit different than the version of the guys who did those things, but how is that anything other than good for Connor Bedard? I'm dreaming of a deadline where Hall, Felino, Perry... All traded, all sent to contenders. Yeah. Let's go. No, this is how, stays This there. is how the NHL should operate. Admiration for Perry... Maybe not for Felino. Admiration for our next guest, John Morosi, will join us after the break to re uh, to rehash the Blue Jays discussion we had in the six a.m. hour. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning this morning. Big weekend ahead for the Toronto Blue Jays. It's Canada Day weekend. Boston Red Sox in town. Lots of great stuff. Already survived one of the big hurdles, which was, you know, putting that bullpen day a little earlier to get the Yusei Kikuchi start on Canada Day. Looking forward to that and looking forward to our conversation next with our insider brought to you by... Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That is John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. Good morning, John. Good morning. Happy Canada Day weekend, uh, and uh, great to begin our segment with uh, with one of the all-time greats from Scarborough, right? Uh, so happy Canada Day from a musical standpoint as well. There you go. Yep, the weekend uh, leading us in there for those who are you're listening the best, John. on the Honestly, podcast. Honestly, you, you just crush it. There is nowhere we can take you that you don't have a little factoid, a little nugget. I guess, you know, Ivy League guy, we should expect these things. But. And uh, that is all true, but we come to you for Adam Fantilli insight, uh, mm-hmm. and he slips to third. Uh, slips is a bit, you know, it's a little negative connotation, but it's fine. Goes to third, Columbus Blue Jackets. I wonder, though, how does a Michigan guy survive in Columbus? Well, here's <laughs> it's a great question, and here's the key thing. 
you have a lot of your buddies with you. And uh, let, let's think about that list. You've already got Zach Wierenski. You've got Nick Blankenberg, Ken Johnson, and then one of his best buddies and line mate, Gavin Brindley, went to the Blue Jackets with their second pick. So uh, you've, you're surrounded by fellow Wolverines to wear the maize and blue in Columbus, uh, that city of, of scarlet and gray uh, there in, in the middle of Ohio. So uh, I, I think when you're surrounded by your buddies, it makes it all a lot easier. And um, I, I'm going to be really intrigued to see how the the fact that the, the Blue Jackets have both Fantilli and Gavin Brindley, how that impacts the decision on if Adam goes back for, for another year at Michigan or uh, or goes directly to pro hockey. I think he can handle either either route, whatever everybody decides. But I just thought overall Adam did a fantastic job just the way that he handled everything, his interviews and how thoughtful he is. And, and his parents are such amazing people. Just the, the, the Fantilli family, as you well know, from, from Nobleton, Ontario, just great, great people. And, and the way that Adam had on his – vest and in his jacket the photos and names of all the people who had helped him get there was just uh, so classy and thoughtful uh, by him so uh again that was one of the cooler things i've ever seen from a player who was drafted just the the amount of gratitude that he was actually wearing uh on that really uh well well styled vest so uh Congratulations to the Fantilli family, and I uh, just can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, hundreds of names he he had inscribed on there, and uh, I just hearing the interviews, uh, not to say he can't uh, go back, but didn't sound like a guy who was uh, planning to be back in Ann Arbor uh, next year, and you certainly won't like hearing this, John, but my theory for him to just truly endear himself to the people of Columbus, shove one of those Wolverine helmets right in that cannon and shoot it out of the cannon they have there uh, in Columbus. But I know you won't like that, and there's no way you'll co-sign it. Uh, One thing I'm wondering if you'll co-sign one way or another. Obviously good for the game of baseball. I think safe to say that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will participate in the Home Run Derby for the first time in four years. I wonder if it'll be a good thing for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, the power numbers, they've been lagging all year long. He finally hit his first homer at home in this homestand. He had a massive bomb last night uh, to, it wasn't a walk-off, but to win the game for the for the Jays. Uh, what do you think of players participating in the Derby? We always hear the idea that it can kind of mess up their swing affect the second half do you think differently about that for vladdy than you do uh, other players john i do because remember one of the major narratives for vladdy this season has been too many ground balls right <laughs> so uh, how do we address that how do we change that uh, create an environment where hitting it in the air is not just encouraged but downright mandatory <laughs> that's the idea so uh, I, I do think that in some ways it'll it'll be a boost for him uh, after a first half that was by his standards uh, a little below average and and for Vladdy it might be the thing being back on the national stage and and competing it, that that might be the thing that gets him going to me as well it's important to keep in mind the big picture here for both Vladdy and the Jays that while the overall outcome for this team, especially from a lineup perspective, is maybe in the 30th percentile of where you hoped it would be overall productivity-wise, top to bottom. And yet, um, they still have a a better than 50-50 chance of making the postseason if you look at the most recent odds on, on baseball reference. And this is this even surprised me looking at it. They've tied the Rays for the best record of the American League this month, which you, you wouldn't think just based on the ups and downs. And, and they've had a really 
unique and at times bewildering month because they've given up 11 runs on multiple occasions and so they've had some lopsided losses in the midst of all of it but lo and behold really after that that disappointing loss in Miami they've turned things around the last week or 10 days or so and I think it's been reassuring for the front office that at the very least this team is is going to be a buyer at the deadline they're they're still right there especially when when you look at July and the all-star break if you're if you're in a strong position when June ends uh, barring some kind of a catastrophe in in your play in July you're going to still be in a pretty strong position to to be a buyer at the deadline so in, in many ways i believe both for Vladdy individually and the Jays collectively they've weathered the underperformance in the first half and if they look around and are honest with their self-assessment they're actually in a pretty good spot as we approach the all-star break yeah it seems like they're in a better spot than uh you know now or opposed to a week week and a half ago when things were the tenor was a lot different right and that's what winning series will do and they've won the last three in comeback fashion and now they got a big one ahead against a team that might be uh floundering a little bit here in the boston red sox i mean the news yesterday you guys mentioned it four years ago vladdy's return i'm sure it jogged your memory just a little bit uh john when you think back on vladdy at the home run derby in 2019 what does stand out just just how much fun he had and and the sheer power that he displayed that night i think that that to me is is something that it may have been and certainly we we all everybody in baseball knows the name and we had heard of his potential um and fans across the really across the world uh certainly know his dad as the hall of famer and and then we're, we're waiting to see what Vladdy Jr.'s um, announcement to the grand stage would be, and I think that that stands out to me as one of the more unique uh, moments because it was right around the time that the larger baseball community was just getting to know him, and and we all got a chance to see the joy that he brings uh, to that competition and and overall uh, to the game, and, and th- this is where the home run derby it's unique in a sport that that in recent years has gotten a lot better with this to be showcasing the individual the home run derby even even in some ways more so than the all-star game itself is a chance for us to see the personality and the way in which a home run derby participant will will rely on his friends or or teammates sort of that like like the almost boxing break where they'll get the get the towel and relax and their their buddies will give them the encouragement those are to me fun moments to see just the, the personality and the interaction and and I think this is an event that has long championed the individual and, and allowed the individual to shine in a way that culturally in baseball we haven't always done a great job of of marketing individual stars and so I think we saw 4 years ago how comfortable Vladdy is in that setting. Um, and I think you, you saw that majestic home run last night. He's, he's starting to feel it again. And, and so when I, when I see his, his swing getting back towards that, that, that power uh, orientation and, and the way that he's played of late, he may not be the guy that people are predicting broadly to win it, but we've seen the experience in the past. And and there may be right now some superstars who are getting even more of the headlines, but uh, you count out Vladdy at your own peril in this event, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he wins the whole thing. Fan Morning Show, Brent Cutting, Justin Cuthbert here talking to John Morosi. Uh, yeah, so Vladdy participating in the Derby, and you mentioned it. The Derby was kind of his 
worldwide or league-wide coming out party. For us here, it, it still feels like that moment was uh, the homer in Montreal that he hit in the kind of exhibition right. game. That that was it here, but you're right. It was definitely the kind of welcome to the world moment uh, that everyone else saw. Uh, obviously, we know what's going on with Alec Manoa. Uh, rough, rough outing in the, the Florida Coast League against a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds. I think all that that does is kind of increase the impetus for the Jays to need to look for a fifth starter. And I'm not saying that because of the playoffs. I'm saying because you can't run a four-man rotation all season long. I'm sure they're not the only team in the majors that would love to add a little insurance or an extra depth arm there. H- how early can teams do that? I mean, I know technically you can force somebody to be a seller at any time if you overpower them with an offer, but realistically, how soon could we see some of those deals start to take fruition? And then what do we think the price is on a guy who is a fifth, sixth starter type? I mean, the Jays, I guess, tried to make a move like this last year for Mitch White. It hasn't really worked out well. Uh, do you think we could start to see some trades like that? Not just for Toronto. Again, I'm sure there's other teams uh, that are looking at those types of players. Right. You're exactly right, Brent. This is about that time. And the draft is coming up uh, where in the past it would often be that after the draft in June that the trade conversation would pick up. I think it's already picked up, even though the draft doesn't happen until we get to Seattle as a sport. The issue, though, is there is not a ton of available starting pitching that's high quality. And and this is where a couple of things might happen. Number one, perhaps there are some players that have uh, July 1 opt-outs in their contracts at the minor league level to where that, that could be an option. Uh, so we may see one of those minor league fifth starter uh, sort of back-end starting pitcher type conversations. Again, similar to maybe the, the quality of what Mitch White would have been a year ago. Or maybe you wait until a little bit closer to the, to, to the deadline for the more dramatic uh, look at, at, a, at an impact starter when you have more information about how Manoa is doing, although obviously to your point, um, the, the, the most recent start was not exactly one that inspired a ton of confidence. There just is not a ton out there and available. There are some teams that are in the middle or, or the ones that I, I expect to be sellers eventually, like Pittsburgh, uh, to where uh, Rich Hill, obviously, who's, who is under contract only for this season, perhaps he becomes an option as you get a little bit closer. Uh, and Rich has, has been able to, to, to pitch, obviously, in, in the American League East as recently as last year. So that, uh, that might be uh, one reassuring uh, name to look at. But the, the, the list of options is not, is not terribly long. I, I, the Shane Bieber conversation is really interesting. Cleveland obviously has now gotten themselves back in the, in the race to where I'd be a little surprised if, if Shane were moved. Um, and, and I also don't know that necessarily um, that the Jays are going to be able to meet the price that, they're, that the Guardians would be asking for if he is moved. So uh, to me, I, this, would n- this does not seem like just to set the – expectations reasonably for Jays fans, this is not a year of the David Price 2015 trade that I would expect to, to have, a, have be reprised in this moment. I think it's more of a, to your point, more of a depth starter, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing that you've got a few guys at the top of the rotation that you feel really good about, and then you're looking for, for, the, for the fifth spot. I, I will say this. I'm a little surprised that, that whether it's someone from AAA or, or someone from outside the organization in something of a minor type deal, I'm a little surprised that they've gone this long with, with kind of the opener strategy and, and, and not really committing to another solution. Because 
it's in some way, and again, full full disclosure here, they've they've tied for the best record in the American League this month. So clearly, something is working. I just wonder if if the bullpen game route will eventually uh, have have some negative impact on on the quality of both the bullpen and also the other starters when there's this constant uncertainty as to what the the routine is going to be. That that to me is is the worry that I have. They're clearly still hoping and believing that Alec is going to have a role on this team, but obviously, based on the results most recently, it's it's still uh, a far distance off in terms of when that's actually going to happen. Yeah, I should mention as well, another name that the team themselves has bandied about is Hyunjin Ryu. Now, obviously, it's been a long, long time since he's pitched uh, right. competitively in a game, but that's another name they're throwing out there. You know, interestingly enough, it's a good problem to have, but I think the reason why the Jays have been a little hesitant to make that move, John, is that if you look at all the starters they have, Manoa aside, everybody's been great this year. I mean, Bassett has had a couple of blow-up appearances, but Barrios has got rid of the bad he saw last year, and he's just added to the good that he was capable of. Manoa, or sorry, Gosman has been his usual, kind of right there at Cy Young self. We saw Bassett with 12Ks last night, and then even Kikuchi has proved himself to be a very capable fourth starter. You know, if this was a team that needed a th- uh, you know a three-starter, for example, or a third starter to kind of slot behind, behind Barrios and Gosman, maybe there'd be a little more urgent Agency to try to go out and set that but the problem is that they it is just that fifth starter that they're after and then with a guy like Manoa lurking you really don't want to allocate too too much capital to it so it's almost a problem that the guys they do have are performing so well that it's not it is an urgent need but it's not an urgent one higher up in the rotation do you understand what I'm saying exactly right and, and that's where to be honest by the time we get to the end of July this this type of of pitcher will be there and available and, and maybe that's part of their thought process let's just ride this out and see if by the end of july either manoa gets back or ryu is is available again or there's by then more starters available in the in the overall marketplace and and we don't know of course uh, it seems like at the moment uh, Zulueta at AAA Buffalo, Josper Zulueta, has been largely used as a reliever this year in terms of how he's accumulated most of his innings. Maybe he's an option on more of a limited uh, workload in the second half. Uh, so he's one name to keep in mind. But I think that to your point, this is not a team, in my estimation at least, that that would be a major player for Lucas Giolito, for example, because Giolito is going to run uh, one of the you know, one of the higher price tags of anybody available at the moment, and and I just don't think the the Jays will spend at that level in prospects when other teams are frankly more desperate for a for a top end starter. Giolito is is Chicago's ace. You know, he's on an expiring contract, so maybe the Jays do find a way to get involved, depending on where the, where the price is. But I, I the, one, the, the big picture point that I would make is that the Jays have either promoted or traded so many of their guys in the high minors in recent years that that they don't have they don't have Baltimore's depth to trade from. For example, Baltimore has both. You know, if you look, just look at one of their in division competitors, Baltimore has just innumerable prospects to trade from at the minor league level 
and a much clearer need in the rotation for someone like Giolito, if that makes sense. So I, I just think Baltimore profiles much better than the Jays would as, as a team to, to, go, to go out and get a really high-impact starter like Giolito. John Morosi on the line. Uh, this morning, Brent and I both professed our love for Jock Peterson, who was hilarious fielding his position last night in his first start in the outfield uh, yeah. all year long. I-, I imagine, because this is one of baseball's best characters, that you have a great Jock Peterson story, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I feel like, uh, I feel like you got something in the brain there, John, that you can entertain us with. Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll tell it. We were in, uh, this would have been 2016, the Nationals against the Dodgers in the first round of the playoffs, NLDS. Um, and we were, uh, we, the Dodgers won. It was game five in D.C., epic game. Just uh, Clayton Kershaw came out of the pen, closed it out. Jock hit a big home run, I believe, in that, in that game. And I was interviewing him in the clubhouse. Uh, it was on Fox Sports 1 at the time. So there was, it was the game broadcast, and I, I had been the sideline reporter for it. So I was in the clubhouse doing some interviews after the game. And um, by that time in the celebration, it, it had appeared that Jock had been enjoying himself in the, in the, <laughs> in, 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 in the, in the revelry afterward. And uh, his, his answers at times became a little meandering. And, and uh, at some point, like, I heard my ear, my producer said, uh, John, you can, you can rap out of this answer, I think. Let's, let's get it back to the studio. And by the time I sent it back to the studio, uh, I think my, my colleagues on the desk at Fox were all sort of chuckling and saying, well, Jock's, uh, Jock's enjoying himself. There, uh, thanks, JP, for the interview. Uh, it was, so that was uh, so. Jock really was was actually enjoying himself in a, in a great way, as he well should. He's been a multiple time champion now. And, and interestingly, the other thing is some, somewhat of a, of a parallel story to this. He actually played in the qualifier for it would have been the twenty it would have been the twenty thirteen WBC. So the fall of twenty twelve. He had played for Team Israel in the qualifier for the World Baseball Classic, and he, I believe, was was 19 and at the time. And Israel almost won. They had lost to Spain in this epic extra inning game. And I, I know that as, as Team Israel was at one point in time thinking they were going to have a celebration, um, they, they basically said, we have to make sure that there's there's actually no alcohol here because we've got a player who's not able to consume it. So that that was kind of an interesting uh, means of preparing for the celebration there. Should Israel have prevailed there in the World Baseball Classic, but they were able to make the last two tournaments, and of course Jock uh, played the last one. So, uh, so some fun notes there, but yes, Jock, uh, I will probably never forget that interview after the Dodgers prevailed in D.C., uh, Jock may have forgotten about it by now, but I, I will always remember it. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, the closest I can compare to that is, you know, we oftentimes didn't do it this year, but, you know, depending on the relationship we have here at the station, we'll sometimes track down a cup winner uh, three, four days afterwards, and it sometimes sounds like they won it five minutes ago, John, so I know exactly right, uh, right. What, what that can be like. Uh, John, always, always love getting you on. Thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure, guys. Have a wonderful Canada Day this weekend. Enjoy all the celebrations, and we'll look forward to our conversation next time around. There he goes, John Morosi. This insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com.
Com. We he did, did not. He did not fail. Morosi. He has a tidbit for everything. He has a story for everything. He passes every single test. And we did have Mark Stone on last week, and it wasn't that it was like Jock Peterson level, in, in that the celebration yeah. has continued it was just fatigue (laughs) it was like oh my god i've reached my wits end i have nothing left to give and i'm now talking to two folks in toronto the funniest ones of that where i do remember i feel like we tracked down some guys after they beat europe in the world cup of hockey and that was very odd because it was great you won for canada but you beat an all-star team. It was the weird trophy. It late was September. Late September. So yeah, that there that was maybe one of the uh, the odder ones there. Always love uh, stuff like that. And Morosi was awesome. So love getting him on. Uh, yep, we always love having John on. We have a busy, busy 8 a.m. hour. We've got uh, two hockey guests in the next block. Steve Coolius, who was in Nashville. Jeff Merrick, who was in Nashville. <laughs> Jeff will talk about the big news in women's hockey uh, that we've got to get to. A potential merger, which could be a solution, but also there are problems associated with it. So we'll break all that down with Jeff and Steve. We'll talk about the happenings in Nashville and what's going to be ahead with signing season. And at 8.30, Michael Grange to talk about it's going to be a busy day. An wake interesting and day wake and in rake. Raptors land. And of course, get your wake and rake submissions in. Uh, if you want to be a part of a parlay that I may or may not bust. Uh, all three of those guests next in the 8 a.m. hour.